confession to make to begin this sermon, I think I'm getting old. Now let me tell you one of the reasons that I think I'm getting old. Now there's many reasons I know I'm getting old, but this one in particular. I find myself reminiscing and thinking, realizing the sand is running through the hourglass, and what is really important in life, because I haven't got time or energy to spend my time on running around like some fool Let's at least concentrate our efforts and make what we got, you know, worth something. Well, another thing that I observed in my old age is there there are certain things that you hold near and dear. And one of them, friends. Because, you know, you you think to yourself, well, I want to spend time with friends. I, I want people that I know, people I have a common bond with, people I can do something with, people I can talk the talk with. As a matter of fact, if if you were called upon to define a friend, what would you say a friend is? Give me some qualities of a friend. Knows you and likes you anyway. In other words, they accept you just as you are without judging you, putting you down, condemning you. Now, does that keep them, though, from telling you when they think you need to get back on the straight and narrow? No, no, it doesn't doesn't do that at all. All right? I think another thing we could say are friends are people you actually have a little bit of affection for, meaning there is an emotion tied up with this person. They put a smile on your face. You, you, you can also be very open with them. You might not tell the average person certain things, but with your friend, you can kind of unburden yourself and let down your hair and, and, you know, and that kind of thing. All right, so I think we recognize all of those things about our, our friends that we have in this life. But here's the direction I want to go in this sermon, and I want you to think maybe in a dimension that you have not thought before. Do you know that God says in Isaiah 41 and verse 8, if you want to turn there, if you've got your Bibles, Isaiah 41 and verse 8, he said this about an individual that we're all quite familiar with. He said, but you, O Israel, my servant, and Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. Now, what does it look like to have God as your friend? You know, we, we think about, oh, there's my friend Jeanette, there's my friend George, you know, there's my friend Jim or Carol, or there's, there's my good friend Sandy, see? Okay, well, we, we get that. But wh- what about, oh, there's my friend God. No, no, doesn't even want to come out, does it? <laughs> No, it doesn't even want to come out. But I think all of you are familiar enough with the New Testament to know that Jesus said to his disciples, you are my friends. So God introduced the concept himself that he is friend with us. What I want to do today is I want to look a little closer at this relationship 
with God and Abraham, and I want to see what we might learn from God's perspective of what we could expect from God if he is our friend. Because this, like I say, the example of the life of Abraham, who is specifically named as a friend of God, I think is very instructive. Now, we don't really quite know much about this Abraham character. He just, you know, the first time you even find his name mentioned is at the end of a long genealogy table in Genesis chapter 11, and it just says in verse chapter 11, uh, verse 21, this is the account of Terah. Terah was the father of Abram, and later on we know that Abram got his name changed to Abraham. So there he is. He's just the son of Terah, and, uh, you know, there it is. And we know from then on that the Bible really, from this point forward, focuses exclusively on this one man, Abraham, and the lineage that came from him. Either the children of Israel, but more importantly, as we read in the scriptural writing, and we're going to read that again in just a minute, is the Savior the one that was going to come through whom all the people of the world could find a blessing. So let's uh, just go back and, and look at something here a minute. In Genesis chapter 12, we use this for our scripture reading today because after we're introduced to just his name, we focus in on him. And the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. And then he gave Abram a promise. He said, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, or... I think as the old King James would put it, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through your seed. And later on in the book of Galatians, Paul narrows down that seed as a direct reference to Christ himself. <clears throat> so we have, you know, that, that background here. Now notice in verse 4, there was a uh, no question response by Abram. So he left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. Now, uh, if you look on a map of, of the general area of Palestine, just so you have an idea where Haran is, uh, you could find the Dead Sea. And over, I believe, on the western side of the Red Sea, from what we know today is where Haran would be. So he left from up here in what we might call today Iraq, made a trek down this way, down the west side of the Dead Sea, settled in in this place called Haran, and this then was where he called home. Now, 
it wasn't really that he was going to call it home just yet because he had some travels to make first. He went to Egypt. He went to several other places. But by the time we get down to Genesis 13 and verse 18, it said, Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamron at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. So he lived right amongst a great big grove of trees. He pitched his tent, and this is then where he called home. Now, I, I would like to, um, to clarify a few things here. How many of you have camped ever in your life? You never were adventuresome, Carol? You never stayed in a tent? You know, when, when we think about a tent, we think maybe one of these dome tents, you know, sleeps three or four people, pop it up in a quick minute. No, no, not the kind of tents we're talking about here. We're talking about tents probably of several rooms. We're talking about tents that you put them down and they're meant to be a permanent dwelling. They're not made out of either canvas or some synthetic thing. They're probably made out of, of hides and all kinds of other stuff, and they really are a substantial dwelling. And so Abraham settles in in this place, and he builds himself his tent little city there. And remember, Abraham had with him a multitude of servants. So it wasn't just him and his tent with his family. It was all of his servants and the cattle and the, you know, everything all like that. And he is camped out here. So you can just kind of get the setting of what we're talking about here. Now, we already know that Abraham has had a few dealings with God before. And from what we see, apparently God did not appear necessarily to Abraham in dreams and visions so much as he just showed up. You know, there he is. So I take it God must have had an appearance as we're going to see. Oh, God has come to visit today. Now, I would like to know, Jeanette, what would happen to your pulse rate if God knocked at the door and you knew that's who it was. You'd say, ah, my house is a mess. I got nothing ready. George, go make a cake. Go do something, George. Make yourself useful. Go down to the grocery store. Let's get something in the cupboard. Put some steaks on the barbecue. Do something here. This is God that's come to visit us. Well... We're going to find out that the, um, the effect that it had on Abraham when he was living in the, by the trees of Mamre here and so on was basically somewhat the same. Let's skip ahead a little bit to Genesis chapter 18, and this is going to be our main section of Scripture today, and we're going to learn a little bit about God. And so it says in Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Okay, so I take it this was a, a hot August night, you know, to use the expression we might use today. And it's only it's afternoon and it is hot and there is no relief. And Abraham, to get any kind of a breeze at all, has got his chair parked right at the entrance of his tent, hoping to get something, 
and at least he is, I guess, in the shade of this great big grove of trees where he's chosen to pitch his tent. So he's sitting there, maybe half asleep. You know how the afternoon gets to you. And if you're like I am, about 1.30, 2 o'clock, I am ready to do one thing on most afternoons, and that's find my recliner and lean back and take a doze. Well, so here's Abraham, and he's already, and he's, he's older than I am, and, and he's sitting in the tent, and he may have been dozing, and all of a sudden he looks up, and lo and behold, who is there? But it is God. And he's got a couple of people with him because it says in verse 2, Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. Now, I don't know what, God, uh, what, what Abraham's introduction to this point was with angels. I take it this didn't shock him that much. So here's Abraham and here's these two, two, you know, he's sitting there and here comes God with these two angels and he saw three men standing nearby <clears throat> and when he saw them, He hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. Now, first thing I want to bring out about a friendship with God. How many of you, when you meet another human being, do you? (laughs) You might do that if you were in the presence of the Queen of England and you were a British subject. Maybe you would bow to royalty. I just don't know what the custom might be. But bow to somebody. I have a good friend. His name is Steve Smith. You know what happens when I see him? I look at him with disdain and I say, Smith. He definitely don't get no bow to the ground. We give each other a big bear hug, insult each other a few times. Then we can get down to doing whatever we're doing. But no, this wasn't just any friend showing up. This was just not nobody showing up. This was God, and he's got two angels with him. And I'm sure in Abraham's mind, he's thinking to himself, "Uh uh-oh, what does he want? He just didn't come here, I don't think, to socialize. He's got business on his mind, and we're going to discuss business shortly. And he's wondering, where is this going to go? You know, is he going to tell me to move again? The last time you remember, he told me, pull up stakes and get out of here. Go down to this place. Is it time to move again? Well, so he, 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 he went out and he met him. And, and, and he, he said in, in um, uh, you know, going a little further here in verse 3, he said, look, if I have found favor in your eyes, in other words, if it pleases you, my Lord, don't pass by your servant. Don't, don't just stop and say hello and keep on going. You, you got to stay. You got to hang around for a while. Let a little water be brought. And then you may all wash your feet and you can rest under this tree. So let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed. And then you can go on your way. Uh, now that you have come, you know, kind of all this way to see your servant. So they're agreeable to that. Now, you know, I I don't find this much different than us. Because when somebody comes to your house and they knock on the door, even if it was unexpected, the first thing you're going to do is invite them in. And what is the very first thing almost ever we do? Can I offer you something? You want something cold to drink? Can I put the coffee pot on? You know, here, I I, I got some cookies in the cupboard over here. I'll get the cookies out to go with the coffee. Um, 
you know, we weren't going to have anything special for lunch, but if you'd like to stay, we'll share it with you, and we'll eat a meal together. Because I find that friendships, in so many occasions, are built around food. In fact is, just to give you another scriptural illustration that you're probably familiar with, because I think I preached a sermon about this the last time I was here, you may remember the, the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And in the last letter, uh, the book of Laodicea, Jesus made this statement. He said, I stand at the door and knock. Okay? And if you will open up, I will come in and we will, the old King James word is, we will sup together. Meaning we're going to have a meal. Or at least coffee and a cookie. Something, but Christ is going to come in, sit down at your table, and then we're going to do like friends do. We're going to have a little bit of food, and we're going to fellowship, and we're going to talk, and we're going to reminisce, and we're going to laugh, and we're going to do whatever friends are going to do. And, and this seems to be the universal thing. As a matter of fact, when all of us are welcome into the kingdom of God, what is the very first event that we know of is going to take place? The marriage supper of the Lamb. We are going to eat. Now, I know you can get into a great theological debate. Well, wait a minute. If we kind of as our spirit beings, but I'm just using the analogy that God is using, whether that's just an analogy or whether that's literal I'm not going to go around the theological barn and, and argue that point half to death, but I'm just saying that God himself uses the analogy of his family and his friends. When they get together, we sit down and we eat. Even the emblems that we take, we call it the Lord's Supper or communion, you know, it's based on a meal that Christ had with his disciples. And uh, so uh, I, you, you may all remember... Of course, this was in our old heritage, more of a commemoration of God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. When remember, we had the night to be much remembered. And oh, I will say this about the night to be much remembered. We folks did some serious eating. I mean, other than maybe Thanksgiving, this was the day of serious eating. And I remember you'd find the the best roast you could find or whatever it was that you chose to fix and you invite some people to your house and you'd sit around that table and you'd fix your best and 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 we would eat so god came to say his friend what changes nothing come on let's eat and so he he he, he decides well uh, let me get some help here uh, let a little water be brought we read that in verse four and you can wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed. And then you can go on your way. And then very well they answered, do as you say. In other words, we'll stick around. Go ahead, fix supper, fix lunch, whatever it is. So then Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, get three you know, measures of fine flour and make some bread. So that would be like me saying, Sandy. Get in the kitchen. Make some bread for us. You know, it's, something's got to be different here because when I think if you're going to make bread, 
Now, maybe, maybe it would be our equivalent of cornbread. Now, I could whip up some cornbread pretty quick. That doesn't take much. But if you're going to do bread, and you're going to let it rise and go through all those motions. Now, I, we have never made bread, but I remember my brother Terry were fanatics for making bread. As a matter of fact, just as a cute little sideline, as a wedding present, both of us, he and Gail and Sandy and I, were given these heavy-duty kitchen aid mix masters. Ours is nearly 52 years old, and we're still using it. They wore theirs out in the first couple of years because Gail would use it to mix the dough for bread, and that was a tough pull. And then you'd have to let it rise and all this, and then finally you'd get it in the loaf pans. But I'm telling you what, folks, it was worth waiting for because I don't know anything better than the smell of fresh-baked bread in the oven and when it first comes out, taking that end slice and putting a big old glob of butter on it, <sighs> so good. I mean, that is eating. That is eating. So, told his wife, get in there, hurry up, make, make some bread. He, he went out back to the servant. He said to the servant, find the, the tenderest calf you can find and hurry up and prepare it. And then it says in, in, in verse 8, he brought some curds and milk. I take it the curds would be equivalent to like cottage cheese. Okay, something like that. So we, we went and got some curds and some milk and some butter. And we had these steaks, you know, from the calf. And we had this fresh baked bread. And, and he prepared it all. And he set it before them. And while they ate, he stood there under the tree. Now, I get the impression that Abraham had already had his lunch and he really wasn't that, that hungry, but he certainly wants to sit there and talk with them while they're having theirs. So he stood there under the tree, and everybody's uh, happy. They're eating their lunch, and, and, and he's, he's talking, observing one thing and another. And, and, uh, and so this is what's going on. But you can see the, the suspense is building here. See, what's going to go on? Now, we're going to learn something else very shortly about what it means to be a friend with God. And and we're going to ask some penetrating questions. So he's mixed the food, made everything ready. And then God says this question in verse 9. He says, where is your wife, Sarah? Now, I don't know the custom of the time, probably... To use the vernacular, women knew their place. And, you know, you're dealing with the patriarch. This was not a matriarchal society. This was patriarchal. And the the wife stayed back in the tent, and she was out of the way. And the man, he did the thing with the guests and all the rest. So he wants to know, where is Sarah? And Abraham says, well, she's there in the tent. Okay. So then the Lord said, all right, now we're getting down to business. I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Okay, now this is first order of business here. Well, now, Sarah obviously is eavesdropping back in the tent. (laughs) She's not letting a word go by. Because we read now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, okay, which was behind where they were sitting. Now, Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. 
So she'd already gone through the change of life, and you know, the childbearing days were really thought of it was older, even if she were over, even if she was able to have any kids, in which case she was never able to have any kids, and and so she's done. But now here's God sitting out there with two angels talking with her husband, and said, "This time next year, you're going to have a child from Sarah." Now, I got to tell you something. Now, maybe it's because we've already had children, okay? But if God came to my house and said, this time next year, you're going to have a child, I think I would say, oh, Lord God, please, no. Somebody else. I don't want a kid. I am 73 years old. I am too old for children around the house. Okay. But I, I think it's a little different circumstance because Sarah's never had any children and she probably longed for a child. And it says when Sarah heard this, verse 17, did she, or, or verse 12 rather, Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? So this is a joke. This isn't going to happen. And, and she, just, she just thought this was funny, so she laughed. Now, this next verse or two, we read something about the nature of God that I find very comforting, about the way God looks at our mistakes and our weaknesses. Okay, so this is good. So, so Sarah laughed. And verse 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? And God says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah's going to have a son. Now, that, that statement that God made, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, intellectually, I believe it. Okay? But when the chips are down, it's not that I think anything is too hard or any prayer is beyond God answering. It's what's God going to do. That's what I'm not quite sure. Is it his will that he's going to give me what I'm asking him for? But in this case, Sarah just didn't believe this was going to be possible. And so in verse 15, it says Sarah was afraid because she got caught, you know, questioning God. And she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But God said, oh, yes, you did. Now, I don't get the impression God was all that upset. It it, it wasn't like Sarah committed some unpardonable sin. It's almost what you would expect out of human beings. They don't have a lot of faith. It doesn't take much to upset them. And so, naturally, Sarah, who's been barren all these years and has passed childbearing, she has a tough time with this. And, and, and so, naturally, she tries to squirm, uh, but didn't do any good. God pinned her down and said, yes, you did. And, and that kind of ended the discussion. And, and so, there it was. So, we, we read this situation here because all of what we just read had to take place 
if indeed Abraham was going to be the father of many nations and those nations were going to come through Sarah. Up to this point, that promise was almost an absurdity, but not anymore. No, God says, now is the time we're going to bring that to pass and you're going to have a son and through that lineage, you're going to have the one leading all the way down to the Savior in which all nations will be blessed. But the story is not quite over with yet. And we got another little, little, little addendum that we have to consider here. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom. Now, if you, it's hard sometimes to pin down exactly where Sodom and Gomorrah were, because of course you and I both know they got torched. Some speculation is it's they're beneath the southern end of the of what we now call the Dead Sea. They're actually covered with water. Others say no. We kind of think we found remnants. You know that maybe they're kind of at the south end of the Dead Sea, but they're where dry land would be right now. But at any rate, from where they were, you can look over there and you could see Sodom and Gomorrah, and there they were. And so they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. You know, you, you just can't kick the guests out the door. You have to go out and, and, and walk part way with them and, you know, bid them adieu and exchange any last pleasantries and all that sort of thing. Although. This is kind of a funny situation because it's not like they showed up riding three camels. They just materialized. You know, that, that, that would be like you're in the kitchen with your back turned. You don't hear the door open. You don't hear nothing. And then all of a sudden, three people just materialize. And there they are. But that's what obviously they did. And when it went, came time to leave, I, I get the impression that God just dematerialized went back to his natural state which was spirit and that was that now we're going to see that the two angels didn't join him they went off we'll get to that in just a second so they um, the Lord said and this is talking I guess to the two angels he says shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do well Abraham will surely become a great and a powerful nation and all nations of the earth will be blessed through him and I've chosen him because he'll direct his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord and uh, the Lord said all right Abraham I'm going to tell you why I'm here besides to tell you the blessing that's going to come of your wife having a son the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I'm going to go down there and see if what they've, I've been hearing about them is as bad as it really is. And uh, if not, then I'll know. But if it is, then look out. And so we find the men turned away. Those are the two angels, and they went toward Sodom. But Abram remained standing before the Lord. And now we find the last little thing I want to talk about in this relationship, this friendship between Abraham and and God, and that is Abraham, even though he deeply respected the Lord, he was not afraid to bargain with him. To bargain, going to see if we can change his mind. Now, there's more than one account in the Bible of somebody trying to change God's mind. 
Okay, and God on at least a couple of occasions allowed his mind to be changed. Yeah, Hezekiah and, and of course uh, we're, we're well familiar with Moses when God was going to destroy the Israelites and Moses talked them out of it and so on. Well, okay. So Abraham approached him and said, now he's going to appeal to his righteousness. Are, are you going to sweep away the righteous with the wicked? says, what, 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 what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Now, I think what Abraham had in the back of his mind was his nephew Lot and his family, and he was trying to find a way to save them, and he thought to himself, even though it may have been stretching it a little, maybe there's a few other righteous people in there besides just Lot and his family. Well, as it turned out, the family wasn't much for God, and even Lot was on questionable ground if you get right down to it as we see by some of his actions. But nonetheless, Abraham is concerned about this, and he said, Lord, come on, you can't do this. You're a God of love and mercy and righteousness. You just can't torch the whole city if there are righteous people down there. So he bargained with him for 50 and for 30 and got him all the way down to 10. And 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 finally, God said, no, if I even find 10 people there, I won't do it. Well, God already knew, no, I'm only going to find one there. That's all I'm going to find is one. He didn't tell Abraham that at the time. But you remember the only one referred to was righteous Lot back in the book of Peter. And he didn't even refer to Lot's wife or Lot's kids as righteous. It was just Lot. And that was it. And Lot had his problems too. But nonetheless, God referred to him as righteous. And so when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Now, I'm not going to go into the rest of the story. You're familiar with it. The two angels go down there and have to forcibly evict Lot and his family because they were so tied to that wretched environment, they didn't want to go. But the angel grabbed them anyway, struck the whole city with blindness, and then took them out of there and told them to go over here and don't look back whatever you do. And then, you know, Lot has to negotiate with the angels. Well, we don't want to go over there. Send us to this little city over here. All right, you go over there, but hurry up. And you know the story about Lot's wife looks back. She gets turned into a pillar of salt. The fire and the brimstone come down, torch both cities to the ground, and there it is. But the thing that I find in kind of a, a summation here is that Abraham had a friendship that we could say, was, was this God enjoyed his friend Abraham God enjoys our friendship God loves to be sociable with his people now you may not think about this but let's say you have a meal and you invite some other brethren over to your house do you realize that you are fellowshipping with God in the presence of those people because in each one of those individuals dwells the spirit of God who is God and you get to fellowship with God through them. And, and, and that's, a, that's a fantastic thing. God shared with Abraham what was on his mind, what he was going to do. Now, we don't have every last detail of what eternity is like, but God has opened our mind to see enough. I think we can say it's really going to be good. And Lord, please, thy kingdom come. Hurry up, would you please, please, please? But, you know, 
even if Sarah and so on had a little trouble believing parts of this story, we got to make sure that, okay, Lord, doesn't sound too logical to me, but nothing's too hard for you. And if you say that's what you're going to do, then you're going to do it. So let's do it. Because I, I think sometimes my biggest problem is, and I try to overcome this every morning when I sit down with some quiet time with God, is if you watch very much of the news and the goings-on in this world and in this nation, my word, what a circus we have going on here. I mean to tell you, and then the tragedies of, you know, this plague over in China and people dying over there and just the normal stuff. I saw a little segment on the homeless in San Francisco, and there are so many tragedies going on besides our own aches and pains and illnesses and everything else and getting old and and, and, you know, watching your body disintegrate in front of your eyes, you know, that kind of stuff. And so you, you look at it all, and sometimes in the world we live, there's not a lot to shout about. But we have to keep our mind on the fact that, no, when God is done, it's going to be good. Through Christ, he's going to redeem it all back to himself, and it will end well. So I hope today you've gained a little bit of insight into God his friend Abraham, the special friendship that they enjoyed. But it's not just unique to Abraham. It's unique to anyone that God calls as one of his chosen children. So relish in it and take advantage of your friend God and what he offers to you. Let's close in prayer. God in heaven above, thank you again for the, uh, these insights that you give us in your word. Thank you, Father, for the hope and the encouragement and just the joy that is here. So we're grateful so much for all the good things you give us to savor and to relish and to look forward to. Be with all of us in our individual lives, especially as we leave this place and go home. And thank you again for everything. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The world today is a challenging environment for Christian believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Looking for answers? Grace Communion International local churches in Fairfield, Santa Rosa, and Modesto offers a comforting environment for Christians in search of spiritual growth and development. Contact a local ministry. Attend their local GCI churches at the times listed on your screen.